0: All right, Zane last week talked about this uh, syndrome that happens to us. It's, it's called getting to the curb of the church syndrome. Now, let me explain what happens here with this syndrome. Our lives could be a total mess and wreck, and we've been struggling all week, but all of a sudden when we step onto the curb of the church, all of a sudden our lives are just fine. And, and we also sometimes come in, and we, we have this sort of angelic look to us a little bit, and they'll say, and how are you doing this week? And, and they'll go, well, I am fine. How are you doing? Thank you so much for asking. And, and you, you're doing fine? And we even have the sort of Miss America wave, you know, hi, how are you doing? It's so good to see you, and everything like that. And um, and, and so that's the syndrome. And, and uh, I know it would be awkward. Wouldn't it be awkward, though, if we came into the services and all of a sudden in the foyer we had all these people crying and wailing and stuff like that? And so I, I get that. I mean, I I, I get it would be, and, and I could just see some of our guests come in and go, what in the world is going on at this place? I, I, I mean, I get that. But I, I think it's really, really important for us to understand That however we come into the building and however we interact with each other, that we're all just these struggling Christians trying to conform to the image of Jesus Christ. And and, and that's what we are. I I don't know what kind of week you had. I don't know if this week um, was a victorious week for you. And, and, And if it was... Praise God for that. That is wonderful. I'm so glad. I, I, I'm, I'm so glad that it was a victorious week for you, overcoming hurdles. I mean, it just it's wonderful. But maybe this week was actually the worst week of your entire life. And it was the week in which trials just overtook you. I, I don't know what your week was. And if, if, if trials and And troubles hit you this week. I want to let you know that we hurt for you. And we're so sorry that happened to you. But I want to let you know whether you had a victorious week. Or you had a week of incredible trials. I want to let you know that all of us at some point in time during the week. Struggled with sin. We all did that. We all struggled with sin. Uh, For me. I mean there were times in my this week that um, man the temptation was just there and and I overcame and it was great but I gotta confess to you too there were there were times when temptation came in and, and I and I succumbed to that and, and I and I struggled this week with that and, and it leads us to where we are in the book of Ephesians. Turn to your Bibles to Ephesians chapter four, Ephesians chapter four. And what I want to sort of give us a little bit of background here. Starting in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul is, is on this journey with the Christians in Ephesus. And on this journey, what he's trying to do is he's trying to expel the darkness out of their life and, and, and help them to have this out-of-this-world light. So starting in chapter 4, there's all these declarative statements like, live a, wor- a life worthy of the calling that you received. Or how about this, is that we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth. Or, I insist on the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. Put off your old self. Or how about this one, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. As we come to chapter 5, turn to chapter 5, our text for today is chapter 5, verses 3 through 20. Paul still is in this process. He's still in this process Is of trying to dispense darkness out of the lives of the believers and have them walk and be light. And and so he'll make statements like this, but among you there must not even be the hint of sexual immorality. Have nothing to do with the deeds, uh, the fruitless deeds of darkness. Be very careful now how you live. Or how about this, don't be foolish. Don't be foolish. And And like our brothers and sisters in Ephesus during this time, we struggle with the same thing. We we struggle with this, the concept, and we struggle with the idea of eliminating and expelling the darkness out of our lives and and walking in the light. And so today what I want us to do is this, is I want us to come alongside the Apostle Paul. I want us to come along to the side of Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 5 and 3 through 30, and I want us to listen to him about what it means to get rid of the darkness and to have this this out-of-this-world light. So let's read the text together. Read the text together. Let's start Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 3. It says this, But among you there must not even be the hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or greed, because these are improper for God's people. Holy people, nor should there be any obscenity or foolish talk or coarse jesting, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For, uh, for, uh, for of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, greedy person, such a man is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with these empty words, for because of such things God's wrath is comes is coming on those who are disobedient. therefore do not be partakers with them. For you were once in darkness, but now you're in light and in the Lord. Live as children of light for the fruit of light consists of goodness and righteousness and truth and find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. For it is the light that makes everything visible. That is why it is said. And here's that song, Josh. It's that baptismal song. And he quotes it and he says, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish. But understand what the Lord's will is, and do not get drunk on wine, which uh, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the church says, "What? Amen." I want to let you know the church was struggling with darkness. And um, I want to do something that I don't normally do. And and if you're a PowerPoint purist, I want to completely apologize for this right now. Uh, You're not going to like the next three slides. So if you're a purist, just forgive me. Because here's what I want us to do. I want us to take a look at these sins that, that Paul mentioned. Because I think their significance. He talks about sexual immorality. Sexual immorality is the word porneia, where we get the word pornography. It's the excess and indulgence of every kind of extramarital, unlawful, or unnatural sexual intercourse. It includes things like adultery, premarital sex, homosexuality, bestiality, incest, and prostitution. He talks about impurity, and it's this idea of this broad moral uncleanliness in word and deed. It describes this filthy heart and mind. It's the person who sees dirt in everything. Have you ever been around a person like that? You say a word or a phrase, and all of a sudden they're making it dirty. That's the impure person, greed, greed. It's ruthless greed, it's, it's insatiable selfishness, moder- mo- uh, money-grubbing, obscenity, indecent, dishonorable, imp- inappropriate conduct, ugly, shameful, foolish or silly talk. It's this unclean speech, and it's, it's veiled in all these innuendos and, and, and double meanings. Coarse jesting, it literally is the idea of turning something easily and making it vulgar. Uh, Usually what happens is this, with a coarse jester, it is the one who takes something and they turn it real easily, and they usually make it into a sexual comment. It's this idea of the adulterer, worshiping something created that is opposite to worshiping the Creator. It's the idea of debauchery, and this, this word debauchery is this indulgent and wasteful living, it's excessive drinking. It, it, and one of the main characteristics of debauchery is this, it's the person who doesn't really care about the consequences of their actions. You know this will hurt you, I don't care, I just want to do it. That's debauchery. And then finally, it is this, is drunkenness, it's excess. It's the actions of a drunken man, the ideal of wastefulness or the lack of self-control. And again, if you're a purist, I, sort of, I really apologize, but I think it's really important we understand what Paul was talking about there. And what hit me was this, why, Paul, did you mention those sins in particular, right? Paul, why did you mention those sins? Out of all the sins that you can mention, why did you mention those sins? And we've got to understand there's this contextual context of why Paul mentioned these sins, He's writing to the church in Ephesus, which is the home of the worship of the goddess Artemis and Diana. You can notice one is the Greek name and one is the Roman name. And I want to let you know that this god or goddess was a disgusting idol. It was this disgusting idol. In fact, I can't even show you the idol because it is so disgusting. It was this godmother goddess and this goddess had multiple breasts on it. And and this massive temple of, this is a recreation of it, what would happen is this, is you would have hundreds of priests, and you would have virgin priestesses, and you would have religious, uh, religious prostitutes. And usually what would happen is, is that they would get drunk for inspiration. But the main thing is, is that when you went to worship this goddess... It was an incredible erotic experience. And so when Paul is writing to the Christians in Corinth, what he's doing is this. He realizes that they're coming out of that, and they're struggling with that. And, and, and they're Christians, but yet at the same time, you just don't get over stuff like that overnight. And so he's trying to drive out the darkness. And he's having them to have this out of this world light. And here's what got me to thinking is this. What if Paul wrote to us? What if Paul wrote a letter to the United States of America? What if he wrote a letter... To our country. And then it got me thinking is this. Just as Paul wrote to the book, as he wrote in Ephesus. What if he wrote to the Sunset Church of Christ? What do you think he'd write to us? And then it started to get me was this. What if he wrote a letter just to you? or to you, or to you, or to me? What, what would he say to us? And, and so what I want to do now is, is I want us to transition to, to listen to Paul here. I want us to listen to Paul as, he, as he's trying to urge these, these Christians to go from this darkness into this light. And what we have to ask is this, Paul, how do I do that? How do I how do I get rid of the darkness so that I could walk in this out-of-this world light? Paul, what is the process that's gonna go on here? And I believe in, in in this passage of scripture 3 through 20, Paul gives the Christians their hope on what to do. And I think the first thing he does is he addresses their thinking, their understanding. He says, there's some things that you need to understand when it comes to eliminating the darkness out of your light, your life. And and the first thing that he's going to tell the the church in Ephesus and us is this. He's going to say is this. A walk of darkness will not go unnoticed by God. I want you to look at Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 6. Notice what it says here. Let no one deceive you. With empty words, for because of these things, God's wrath comes with who are disobedient. And, and, and so here's the here's the observation that you have to think about. There were some people, possibly in the church, but definitely in the culture, who were going like this. Hey, listen, it's not a big deal. You have a little darkness in your life. It's okay. Hey, man, you're so much better than you used to be. It's okay to have a little bit of darkness in there. It's not a big deal. I mean, hey, you're doing really well. I mean, man, I know you when you were really into worship over there. Man, you are just doing well. I know there's a little darkness, and it's okay. It's the same. It's different, but there's also this same spirit. It's like, hey, listen, I know you have a little bit of darkness, but hey, just live your life right now. It's okay. It's the same spirit that comes from YOLO. You only live once. It's the same spirit. Hey, listen, you only live once out there. I mean, you got to do what you want to do. You got to be who you're going to be. You just only live once and don't worry about that. I I know there's a little bit of darkness there, but that's all right. You only live once. And here's the problem with all of that. It's all false. Amen? Amen? It's all false. Because we don't only live once, don't we? We live here and then we live where? In eternity. And what he wanted, to, the understanding that he wanted to have the Christians there, he says, listen, I want to let you know there will be a day of reckoning. There will be a day of reckoning. And so the first thing he wants them to understand is a walk of darkness will not go unnoticed by our God. Number two is this. They have this complete change of nature. And Paul is going to rely upon one of the the most basic metaphors that you find in Scripture. And that is light and darkness. Darkness and light. Look at verse 8. He says this. In verse 8 he will go, But you were once in darkness, but now you are light. Now what's really interesting about this is I've misread this my entire life i always thought i just put the words in have you ever put words in scripture like you know that's what it is i always thought it says you live in darkness and now you live in light it doesn't say that here's what it's saying is this before christ not only did we live in darkness we were darkness And now that we've come into light, we are now light. It's not a matter of walking. It is who we are. It's our core character. Before Christ, we were darkness, and now in Christ, we are light. And I think that's just profound there. And since we're no longer darkness, then we can't coexist with it. Amen? We are now people of light. And i got to let you know when that took place. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13 says this. He has transferred us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. You know when that took place? At your baptism. When you were baptized into Jesus Christ. You know what happened there? I mean, there's a lot of stuff that happens at our baptism, right? A lot of stuff that happens at our baptism. But I want to let you know what happens at our baptism that's so beautiful that ties in with this passage. We were darkness and now we are light. And that happened when we were baptized into Jesus Christ. And you know what it means for us today? It means this. We are light transmitters. <laughs> we are light transmitters. That's, that's what we do. And, and, and Paul will even tell us how that looks. He says, I'm going to let you know what light's going to look like. It will look like goodness, righteousness, and truth. He tells us what it means to be a light transmitter. We've had a complete change of nature. And a walk of darkness will not go unnoticed by our God. And the final thing, he says, I want you to understand this, is this. It is the smart thing to do. Look at at verse 14, 514. 514. Be very careful how you live, then, how you live, not as unwise, but wise. And some versions say they're foolish. And what Paul's saying to the church in in Ephesus and to us is this the smartest thing that you could ever do is live in Christ. The smartest thing that you could ever do is to be a Christian. The smartest thing that you could ever do is to dispel darkness from your light and walk in light. The smartest thing that you could ever do is to live as children of light. Maybe you have have thought about this or maybe you've inexperienced it. Have you, felt, have you thought about how hard it is to live in darkness? I mean, think about that for just a second. It is just agonizing. It is just, it is so hard to live in darkness. I, I, I mean, I understand there's this... There's this momentary rush of maybe freedom or a feeling of control. But I want to let you know that's all gone in the instant, just in a moment. And all of a sudden, it's back to the shackles again. It is so hard to live in darkness. And just as it's hard, how hard it is to live in darkness, let me just tell you this. It is so freeing to live in the light. Isn't it? It is just so freeing. Listen, you don't have to listen. You don't have to cover your tracks. You don't have to lie. Your life is just this, this open book, right? Hey, listen. Oh, you want to take a look at my computer? Okay, I don't care. Take a look at the computer. You want? To, let's see your phone. All right. Anybody want? Go right ahead. It doesn't really matter. It's just so freeing to walk and to have this -this out-of-this-world light. And you know what Paul says that when we do this? It's so interesting. Notice what he says. When we do this, two things happen. Number one, we will make the most of our time. And the other one is we will understand God's will. Do you see how that's tied together? When we walk in the light, when we live this this out-of-this-world light, here's what we do. We know what to do with our time. We actually redeem it back. We buy it back. And the other one is this. We understand what God's will is. And all three of those things are the understanding which Paul is calling upon the Christians there. But it's just not thinking. There's some specific actions that he says will eliminate darkness in our lives And, and And I want you to listen very carefully to these because, again, it's the thinking. It's not only the thinking, but it's the action. And the first action is this. Here's this, is we expose. Look at verse 11 and verse 13. 11 says this, Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. So, Paul, what do you mean by expose? Here's what he means is this. It's to convict. It's actually to a point where you bring to uh, repentance and regret. It's the idea of bringing to proof. It's taking that which is hidden and revealing it out into the public. And I want to let you know, honestly, this is the hardest thing to do. Because if I really let you see who I am, what will you think of me? If I open up and I, I allow you to see the darkness in my life, you, you may not think of me the way you used to think of me. And, and, and so what we do is this. It is sort of the nature of darkness is we hide. We don't bring it out to the light. We just hide it away. We make sure nobody ever sees that. But I want to let you know what happens when we don't expose Sin gets more powerful and more powerful and more powerful. You know what happens when we confess or expose our sin? It sucks the power out of sin. It sucks the power out of sin. And all the power that this hidden sin had in our lives, once we bring it out to exposure... It just sucks the power out of it. And you know what what we find out more than anything else? You know what we find out? We find out that we're all fellow strugglers and that we love each other in spite of the struggle with sin. Amen to that? Not only are we to, to expose, but here's what we're to do is this. We're to learn. Look at 5.10. 5.10 says this, And find out what pleases the Lord. And, and again, the idea of finding out there is, is, is putting something to the test, verifying it, discerning what it is. Now, I want to tell you the power of this verse. You know what the power of this verse is? It's the action of the verb. When it says, Please, what, find out what pleases the Lord, what pleases the Lord is this continuous action of the verb. It means this, is it doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for six months or you've been a Christian for 60 years. Here's what we always do. We always do this. We put everything to the test. We discern. We learn what God's will is in everything. We're going around asking this question is this, does this please the Lord? You got a new job opportunity? Will this please the Lord? you gotta, you got to raise at your work, what, what can I do with this that pleases the Lord? It's this constant asking of this question. I don't, you remember the bracelets, what would Jesus do? Uh, you know where that came from. That came from a book, Charles Sheldon, In His Steps. If you've never read that book, it's a classic, man. you got to read it. It's so good. What would Jesus do? And I, and I love that because this is the same spirit that's found in we learn. We just keep asking over and over and over again. Will this please the Lord? Will this please the Lord? Will this please the Lord? And it's the constant drumbeat in our lives. Next is this. Not only do we expose, not only do we learn, but we feel. 5.18 Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Again, Acts 2 38. Repent and be baptized. And when we repent and baptize, we receive the forgiveness of sins and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So when we are baptized in the Christ, we are embodied with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit does so many wonderful things in our lives, right? The Holy Spirit, what it does is this. It's a guarantee of the salvation to come. Not only is it a guarantee of the salvation to come, but it's also when we can't pray the way we want to pray, the Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalves. And so you got to ask this question. Well, Paul, if we're embodied the Holy Spirit, why should we be filled with the Holy Spirit? What's interesting again about this is, is Paul is saying, I am commanding you to continually be filled with the Spirit. Well, I thought I embodied the Spirit, but there's a process here that Paul's trying to get at. Here's what he's trying to say is this. Paul is saying to us, make sure the Spirit is taking up every space in your life. Did you hear that? Make sure the Holy Spirit is taking up every space in your life. When Paul says, be filled with the Spirit, he's going over and over and over again. He's going, I want to make sure that the Holy Spirit is taking every inch of your life. It means that as Spirit filled Christians, we are constantly under the control of the Holy Spirit. Next is this we sing. We sing. I was raised around the churches of Christ. I am a good Church Christ boy. I wasn't a good Church Christ teen, but I was a good Church Christ boy. And I always remember when we start talking about musical instruments. We had the two verses right. There was this verse, and there was Colossians chapter three and verse sixteen. And 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 I was like, okay, all right. Here's why we don't use musical instruments. Is these two verses? But I gotta let you know something. Let me first say this: I love a cappella singing. I love our heritage. I love a cappella singing. I love that we do that. We will always do that here. A cappella singing is what we're going to do. This is going to be our strength. I mean, I love a cappella singing, but i got to let you know something. When Paul wrote this, he had none of that in mind. When Paul wrote this passage, defending, the, defending this argument between musical instruments and a and, and cappella music was not even in his attention. It wasn't even there. And, and, and I want to let you know this, and I want you to listen very carefully as this. When we only use this passage to defend a cappella music, we actually gut the power out of a cappella music. And at this moment in time, you're going, you better explain yourself, Bill. (laughs) You got to remember, I love a cappella music, but I want to let you know something. When Paul wrote this, we must remember the context. Because the context is the thing that gives us the power of singing. And and here's the context of what he's saying is this. The context is this. You should live such a Spirit-filled life that singing comes out in praise. That our walk in the Spirit is so powerful, so mighty, so wonderful. There's only one place for that to go, and that is singing praises to Him. Amen? And here's the other thing that makes singing so powerful. In the context of this here is this. When we sing, we dispel darkness from our lives. Did you hear me? When we sing, when we lift our hearts and praise the God, guess what comes out? Not only praise the God, but darkness comes out. And so I must address this. Not singing. If you don't sing, I want to just talk just a little bit about this. Maybe you don't sing because you don't think God likes your voice. And, and you, don't, you don't know how to hold a pitch, key, whatever they call it. Listen, I mean, whatever you call that stuff. And you're like, I just don't want to sing because, honestly, I am just not a very good singer. And I want you to listen to this message very carefully Is this. God doesn't care if you're a good singer or a bad singer. He doesn't care. All He wants you to do is live according to the Spirit so that you will bust out your voice in praise to Him. Okay, I'm just going to tell you something. I have no idea how to read music. And if you sit by me, I'm all over the board, all right? I mean, if I could get away with it, I'd sing soprano. But let me just tell you this. Maybe you don't sing because of us. Us. Now, I'm going to let you tell you something. I am so glad that we are a good singing church, and we, we know the note stuff. You can tell I don't know the notes stuff, all right? And I don't know, maybe you've received the, you're tune glare. You're singing along, and all of a sudden, somebody looks at you and goes, uh, and you know what they're thinking in their head. I'm really sorry, but you sound very horrible. Let me just say this. It doesn't matter what we think amen it doesn't matter what we think all we care about is you lifting your heart however that sounds in praise to God and finally this one we're going long today and I'm not going to apologize because this is important for us maybe you don't sing because there's darkness in your life and your conscience is so defiled and hurt that you just can't utter a word of God and praise to him and here's what I want to tell you today is this today is the day of exposure Today is the day where you come up and you say, I have been living in darkness and what I want to do more than anything else in the whole wide world is I want to be free from the shackles of sin in my life and I want to sing praises to Him. So if you're not singing, start singing today. Finally is this, the last action is this. Above all else, above all else, be thankful. Notice what he says in 20. Paul's final encouragement to dispel the darkness and to walk in this, this light, this out of this world light. He says, I just want you to be grateful. I want you to be thankful. But notice what he says. What's the center of the gratitude? The center of the gratitude is not our circumstances. I want to let you know today is this. You being thankful will probably not change circumstances in your life but I tell you what it will change is you and the reason why above all else we could be thankful is because of this God is on the throne and the tomb is still what I said again God is on the throne and the tomb is still what Empty. empty and that's why we could be thankful and so today the invitation is very personal. The invitation is very personal is this: If you've not been baptized into Christ, today is the day to walk in light and not walk in darkness. Today is the day to be light and not be darkness. But the other part of the invitation is this: If you have been struggling with darkness, don't hold it in any longer. We love you. We'll walk with you. But expose the darkness so that you could have this -this out-of-this-world light and that you could sing praises to Him as we stand and as we sing.